X at the base level are a late 70s, early 80s punk band out of Los Angeles. But of course, they are more than that. Made up of four individually unique and collectively intense band members, X's music has been described as the sound of a dashing dark alley murder. To me, they have one of the best opening three album runs of any rock and roll band ever. Los Angeles in 1980, Wild Gift in 1981, and then 1982's Under the Big Black Sun, which we will bang out today. I'm Brennan. Welcome to Boogie Chits. Three of the four members of X are originally from Illinois, but never knew each other while there. Let's start with the handsome and mysterious John Doe. Born John Nominanson Duchak on February 25th, 1953 in Illinois. He grew up mostly in the Baltimore area before graduating from Antioch College in Baltimore in 1975. Antioch is a liberal arts college whose other graduates include Coretta Scott King in 1951, that's MLK's wife, and Leonard Nimoy received his master's from Antioch in 1977, two years after Doe graduated. So John might have been classmates with Spock. So John learned to play guitar and bass somewhere during this lifetime line and played in a few bar bands, but really got the bug to start a serious band after hearing uh, Patti Smith's Horses album. Horses. After Antioch, John briefly worked as a roofer while also running a local poetry night at some church in the Baltimore area. Poetry is like his, his favorite thing. This type of life not working out for him, though. John wants adventures to write about, like uh, Charles Bukowski and Hunter S. Thompson and all those people he's into. John moves to Los Angeles in 1976 and immediately starts throwing ads in The Recycler looking to start a band. The Recycler was published by Canadian transplants Gunter and Nancy Schaldack in 1973 They took the idea of doing a free all-classified newspaper from a similar one in Vancouver where they they were from. Blew up, and the recycler is responsible for the initial connections of many bands in the 80s. James and Lars of Metallica met via the recycler. Lars is like a ghoulish little elf, though. I'm surprised James didn't hold the newspaper in front of his face and keep walking. Coincidentally, John Doe's ad would be answered by another guy originally from Illinois that had also placed a recycler ad himself that same week. Guitar player going by the name Billy Zoom. So Billy Zoom was born Stuart Tyson Kindle in February 1948 in Savannah, Illinois. That's a town located along the Mississippi River. Zoom is five years older than John. He moved to Los Angeles in the late 1960s and got work as a session guitarist while also going to tech school to learn electronics repair. So Billy Zoom, to this day, he's an expert at restoring and fixing old tube amps and vintage organs. Billy, Billy's awesome. He looks like a, like a punk rock Larry Bird. Billy's dad played horns in a big band while he was growing up, and little Billy learned to play violin, accordion, Piano, clarinet, banjo, flute, ripping fucking guitar, and saxophone. It's a game changer for a band when you have like a utility player. John Paul Jones in Zeppelin, the American treasure Levon Helm in the band, and for X you got Billy Zoom, Larry the Legend. 
While in Los Angeles, Billy sends demos to every record label that he can find when he first gets there. He uses the name Ty Kindle, his uh, middle name, and then his last name. He gets rejected by every one of them. That's why he changes his name to Billy Zoom. That's how confident this guy is with his playing. He thinks it's his name holding him back. I think the name Ty Kindle is actually better. It re that reminds me more like the real name of an actor that was on Baywatch. So you got like David Charvet, Jason Simmons, David Chokachi, Ty Kindle. Look at that. It slides right in there. You wouldn't even know. It's like a cheeseburger into Hasselhoff's mouth. After answering one another's recycler ads, John and Billy hit it off, let the jam sessions begin. Billy Zoom ripping away on his flashy silver guitar, John on bass and writing material framework, and then whoever else coming in coming in and out to play drums and stuff. John's still a big poetry nut, so while trying to put together a band uh, with Billy, he also frequently attends poetry workshops at a joint called the Beyond Baroque Foundation in Venice, California. The Beyond Baroque is a literary arts center located on Venice Boulevard that is still going today. The place hosts over 200 author readings a year. So while at a Wednesday night workshop there in 1976, John becomes friendly with the Baroque's librarian, a 21-year-old girl named Exine Cervenka. Exine, unique. She looks like a flapper from the 20s that got struck by lightning. The two become friends quickly, talking about poetry and whatnot. And John starts bringing Exine to the re to the rehearsals he's been doing with Billy, bringing uh, Exine to band practice. Exine never had any intentions of joining in with them. She has no musical experience. But John loved Exine's poetry and said that her stuff would work perfectly as song lyrics and, and good ones at that, good songs. Upon this encouragement, Exine eventually grabbed a mic and joined the party. Exine and John also become BA friend and girlfriend around this time. David Charvet played Matt Brody. Jason Simmons was Logan Fowler. Who the fuck did Chokachi play? So Exine Cervenka, Exine comes from Christine, shortened from Christine. She was born February 1st, 1956 in Illinois, but grew up in Florida. Like John Doe, super into poetry. Exine has a sister named Muriel who is two years older and she is like super close with best friends with her older sister. Muriel is an actress and moved to Los Angeles in the mid-70s. Exine decides to follow her sister, moves in with her in L.A. and then gets a job at the Beyond Baroque Foundation. She ends up being the first librarian at that place, and that's where she meets John Doe. So X is now 75% complete with Exine on vocals with John, and then John play, plays bass, and then we got Billy Zimzoom as our uh, guitar player. Drummer DJ Bonebreak is the final piece. DJ was born in, 19, in 1955 and raised in Burbank, California, San Fernando Valley. He's the only member not originally from Illinois. Complete drum nerd. DJ Bonebreak is his real name, too, which is fantastic. And he is all about not just drums, but marimbas and just general percussion international. The guy loves drums. What, you know, what are you going to do? John, Billy, and Exene asked DJ to be in the band after seeing him perform with a band called The Eyes. That's a, a, a L.A. punk band that also had the Go-Go's Charlotte Caffey as a member. 
DJ also played drums sometimes for the germs as a, a as a fill-in. So we now have uh, X complete. John comes up with the name X for the band. It's just Exene shortened. It's just taking the letter X out of Exene. For uh, such a, a poetic band, um, very simple, uh, very simple band name. X starts writing songs and playing out. Lovers John and Exene are the primary songwriters. X is locked in right out of the gate. Let me tell you, you got swinging buzzsaw guitar, a Billy Zoom, Thump City with DJ Bonebreak on drums, and the infectiously charming off-kilter vocal harmonies of John and Exene. They tear it up live and quickly become the face of the emerging Los Angeles punk scene. So the seeds of live L.A. punk were planted in 1977 at a club located underneath a pornographic movie theater called The Mask. That's M-A-S-Q-U-E. Run by a Scottish transplant music writer named Brendan Mullen. The Mask would end up being like the center point of the Los Angeles punk subculture. And X were the marquee band playing there right from the get-go. You also had also Jeff, the Dickies, Germs, Dills, Suburban Lawns. And, and then the early incarnation of the Go-Go's were all part of that first mask scene. Brendan Mullen, cool, celebrated dude and beloved by artists who played his joints in the 70s and 80s. I'll get to more of those later. But uh, you always think of club promoters and managers and all that as like shady pricks. But, you know, not with this guy. He's another. He's a, you, always, you always remember the good ones when it comes to this type of stuff. Peter Grant from Zeppelin would have been cool with this guy. As X lays punkabilly waste to the mask and other venues all over L.A., the music industry people be buzzing. X are more than ready to entertain offers and adulation. You know, despite the slacker scowl that L.A. punk gets branded with, X definitely are a band with careerist motive, and they, they work their asses off. You know, they mean business. One night in attendance at an X show at the Whiskey A Go-Go is Ray Manzarek former keyboardist of the doors Ray is the guy who wrote the keyboard intro thing to light my fire he is also in regard to jim morrison the biggest corpse humper of all time let me tell you every music documentary book or article that this guy was in has him going he does it's always well that was jim for you jim always said or like classic gym moment it's insane like let it go right he just cannot he just constantly brings up Jim the fact that he was Jim Morrison's sideman for like four years or whatever the fuck they were Ray Manzarek struggled to find his footing in music after Morrison bit it and the uh and the doors ended he had a couple of solo bombs and was now in his late 30s just out partying with his wife when he saw X at the whiskey he was instantly blown away. Pro- he probably saw dollar signs, though. It should also be noted that X played a cover of The Doors' Soul Kitchen that night, which most definitely stoked Frank- Frankenstein Manzarek's ego, no doubt. Ray approaches X after the show, raving that he wants to produce their debut and champion them in getting a record deal. So X have a nice little connection there. Ooh, also, by this time, X have the We're Desperate adult book single out on Danger House Records. Danger House was a small label that distributed L.A. punk singles. The label's existence was brief, but is still recognized for the overachieving sound quality of their singles, especially for what their budget was. That's important to know about X. 
from that's all there really is. It's like there, as far as before their first album, there's this single and it sounds great. So they have just like a consistency in sound quality throughout their entire catalog. I don't know if that plays, you know, if that's noticeable on the surface, but I, I like that about them, that everything's just all in the same wheelhouse. They have this unique identity in sound, whatever else. They're, they're fucking great. So out, anyway, X have live show electricity and a fan base, great sounding demo, and the Doors piano players tooting their horn. So should be no problem getting a record deal, right? Wrong. Every major label passes on X. This includes Electra Records, much to the chagrin of the corpse humper, Electra released like every Doors album. But X do end up securing a deal with a small new label called Slash Records who had just released some stuff by the germs. Ten years later, Slash Records would sign Boogie Chit's favorite L7. So it's 1980 and time for X to record. Ray Manzarek produces X's debut album, Los Angeles, recorded in January and released in April. It sold an impressive 100,000 copies and was uh, critically, critically praised. Robert Kruskow of The Village Voice, the only uh, music credit critic that I take any stock with. You know, you have to listen to something. You can't really listen to what somebody tells you, like me. Um, but anyway, he wrote that the Rob, Bob Kruskow wrote that the songs on Los Angeles make a smart argument for a stupid scene. That's funny. Los Angeles is the place to start with X. I would suggest you can bang out the first three records right in sequential order. Los Angeles, Wild Gift, and Under the Big Black Sun. Three half-hour masterpieces, boom, one right after the other. So on Los Angeles, you have Johnny Hit and Run Pauline, which is where they get that sounds like murder tag. That was a, a fairly, probably the biggest song off the album. And the Soul Kitchen cover gets a spot on side A. Side B is where the magic is, though. Los Angeles, Sex and Dying in High Society, Unheard Music. Album is a classic. Rockabilly Punk. That same year, 1980, John Doe and Exene Cervenka get married. So despite basically becoming a soundtrack for a certain subculture of the city, the album Los Angeles doesn't quite tilt the earth on its axis like the band and Ray had hoped. X heads back into the studio for round two in 1981. They emerge with Wild Gift. To me, this is the definitive X album. Same quality and execution as Los Angeles, but with a little bit more punch, confidence, and punk swagger. Absolute masterpiece. Beyond and Back might be the best X song. You got Universal Corner, I'm Coming Over, In This House That I Call Home. Deep tracks. Deep tracks everywhere. You could bang out Los Angeles and Wild Gift in an hour and easily come out with, I would say, at least three songs that you would uh, add to your Joy Time playlists. John and Exene's songs on Wild Gift, they often reflect a celebration of their love for one another, uh, both artistic and romantic. They're, they're quite a duo. Once again, fans and critics love Ranked second only behind The Clash's Sandinista on the Village Voice's 1981 Paz and Jop uh, Best Album poll. Bob Criscow, the dean, he lauded X's second effort writing, Trust the Bohemian Bearing Gifts. How often do we get a great love album and a great punk album in the same package? It's definitely their most punk album. Ray Manzarek, he actually played organ and some other shit on Los Angeles, but Wild Gift is just the four band members. 
Go get you some. It's uh, phenomenal. Once again, despite Wild Gift receiving a pat on the head everywhere it lands, the album does not blow up the universe. <clears throat> X continues to knock it out of the park live, though. They would be one of the bands featured in uh, Penelope Spheres' 1981 documentary about the Los Angeles punk scene called The Decline of Western Civilization. The doc traces the trajectory of Black Flag, X, Circle Jerks, Fear, Alice Bag, Catholic Discipline, I want to say, and the cultural, the token cultural shock band of that L.A. punk scene, The Germs. It's not as good as part two with, with, with the hair bands, but there's there's three of these, uh, Decline of Western Civs. So, Decline of Western Civilization was selected by the Library of Congress in 2016 to be preserved in the United States Film Registry for being culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. Nice. Darby Crash of the Germs, he's like smacked out the entire 100 minutes of that, that documentary. Daryl Gates, the notorious LAPD chief in the 80s, he banned the documentary from being screened in theaters across the city. So after two absolute banger albums, X now have proof on vinyl of their power. It's 1982 and they get signed by Elektra Records. Boom, the, the big boys are calling. They get $100,000 to record their next album, which would ultimately become the band's third, Under the Big Black Sun, completing a nut cruncher of an opening three-album run, let me tell you. So they get $100,000, they're signed to Elektra. I guess the smart thing to do, I don't I don't really know the, the music business at all, but I guess the smart thing to do with like when you're given a large amount of money to record an album is just, especially like X, record it the same way you did the first two, probably save a little bit of that money and then like, I don't know, fix up your tour van or like put down payment on something like place to live. Boring. Let, let's what they really should do is just get they have a hundred grand just record it as cheap as possible at somebody's house and then just blow the rest of the money on cocaine and cool shit like that I mean it's your you know there'll be there'll be more money right so uh but no they don't do that they're you know they uh, make a, a really good record with it Ray Manzarek returns to produce under the big black Sun round three with him. It's a little less punk, but definitely more X. This album, I would say, really captures the essence of their unique jive, just their unique sound. A couple of things to note that influenced the material found on Under the Big Black Sun. The tragic death of Exene's sister, Muriel, which I'll get to. And another part of the uh, that, that fits into the equation here is the struggles of being married to a band member like John and Exene are married to one another. The honeymoon phase is over for them. Under the Big Black Sun is considered a bit of a departure from the first two, but I think that's a little overblown. It's still right in that X wheelhouse, maybe with a little bit more country hip shake, I would say. 11 songs, just under 35 minutes in length. After this one, the the X ship begins to steer toward a less crunchy and more commercial waters, I would say. To me, after Big Black Sun, X never quite reach the levels of exhilaration that the first three deliver. Let's uh let's have a listen to Under Under the Big Black Sun. David Chokichi played Cody fucking Madison. Cody Madison. Ooh, Chokichi, you slippery prick. Under the Big Black Sun opens with the Hungry Wolf. It's not one of my favorite X jams, 
a bit clunky for my taste. X's live and studio sound are compatible in quality, but Hungry Wolf, I would say, is definitely one that sounds better live. Monkey, I say. Get the fuck out of here. That shit rocks. How X's vocals work is either Xene or John take the lead on the verse and then they do their angular harmony thing on the chorus and other song parts of emphasis. Los Angeles, the city, pretty scuzzy in 1982. A lot of mustaches and night crawlers. And I always assumed that The Hungry Wolf was about like LA street predators. Dark sided. It's not, it's about determination. X the band is the hungry wolf tearing up the country city by city with their razor razor sharp periphery. We get a banger at song number two, Motel Room in My Bed. This jam could have had a place on Los Angeles or Wild Gift. It's a textbook X song. Exene takes the lead on vocals and explores the quirky personal annoyances that come with uh, married life. Rubber sheets in a motel. Gross. I think of one thing when it comes to rubber sheets, and it's it's not packing material. No. Body disposal. Pull the car up. Grab a luggage cart. We got to get this thing out of here. Motels do that with rubber sheets. Speaking of murder, rubber and dark times in the underbelly of 1980s Los Angeles. Porn legend John Holmes was arrested in 1982 for allegedly taking part in the infamous Wonderland murders in Laurel Canyon in July 1981. He was ultimately acquitted in June 82, even though his bloody handprint was pulled from a doorway. He was there. Eddie Nash made him uh, go along. I don't want to get into the Wonderland murders because, uh, you know, I'll never get off of them. The third song on Black Sun is called Riding with Mary. I think this is the only single released off the album. Frankenstein Ray adds unnecessary keyboard. I think he just pokes one key on the piano rapidly during the chorus.
Exine was mourning the death of her sister Muriel while writing material for Under the Big Black Sun. Riding with Mary is the first of three songs on the album reflecting her internal struggle with that. Muriel Cervenka was driving to an ex-show with two passengers on April 12, 1980 when her VW Beetle was blindsided by a vehicle who then left the scene. Hit and run. The two passengers lived, but Muriel was killed instantly. She was only 26 years old. Driver was never found. Absolutely devastating. This song is specifically about the car accident. The Mary represents those Mother Mary figurines that people keep or kept on their vehicle dashboards at the time. Kind of like a superstitious safety measure. Come Back to Me follows next and is also about Muriel's death. Slow, sad, country-tinged ballad. Billy Zooms uh, dusts off his saxophone for this song. Exine never broke stride after her sister's death, as far as X goes. Band kept her busy. Plus, she's married to John, so good family element that the X framework provided for Exine. Under the Big Black Sun was recorded at Cherokee Studios in Los Angeles. David Bowie recorded Station to Station there. He always said he didn't remember making that album. Also, Michael Jackson made Off the Wall there. So, pretty historic uh, building that they're recording this album in. The title track, Under the Big Black Sun, closes out side A of the album. Banger about married life. Another famous murder in 1982. Across the country in New York State, 29-year-old medical student Kathy Durst disappeared on January 31st. No one ever heard from her again. Her husband at the time was Robert Durst, heir to the Durst New York City real estate empire. Became the main suspect and avoided proof and conviction of this for like 40 years. Kathy's remains have never been recovered, and that creep show uh, Robert Durst, D-U-R-S-T, is uh, D-E-A dead, dead. HBO did a documentary series in 2015 called The Jinx, if you want to dive into the Durst saga. I lapped up every drop of that when it came out. That's a great front five to start a record by, let me tell you. So we're going to flip this prick, and side B opens with Because I Do. 
Exene takes the lead on this one. It's a it's a popular one in the catalog. The main riff in this song best represents X's transition, I would say, from the the punk bop of Los Angeles, the early Los Angeles and Wild Gift, to maybe the more polished country tinge of this album. It's still frenetic, but something's just a little different, a little a little bit more experienced. Drummer DJ Bonebreak. He plays shirtless during this time at live show uh, X shows. I feel like shirtless is the way to go when drumming, especially in Los Angeles during the 1980s. I don't think Steven Adler wore like a silk Steve Sanders blouse while pounding brownstone. Blue Spark is next at seven. You know, in the 20 years X has been on my musical radar, I never liked this song. Until listening to Under the Big Black Sun for this episode. Love it. Blue Spark is Exene Cervenka and John Doe's weird-ass vocal harmonies at their best. Guitarist Billy Zoom, he's a throwback to the 1950s. Before X, he spent time backing rockabilly legend Gene Vincent during that guy's final days touring. He plays with like a wide stance and is known for making eye contact and acknowledging people in the audience while laying down a guitar rip. Always smiling, he winks to the audience, total showman. Love him. Fucking freak show. Dancing with Tears in My Eyes is the third and final song centered around the death of Muriel. Exine's sister. It's like a Western saloon weeper to me, except it has that it has that wobbly X charm. Not one of my favorite favorites, but hey, whatever. like the three stages of grief in three songs riding with mary is the accident come back to me is the immediate devastation and then dancing with tears in my eyes are the memories it's bad fucking rules my least favorite song on the album is next it's called real child of hell in the documentary called the unheard music 
which which unlike Decline of the Western Civ is entirely about the band X, John Doe explains what this song is about, and I still have no clue. Like I was more confused after he babbled about it in the documentary. So the documentary I'm talking about is X, the Unheard Music. wasn't released until 1986, but it's important to note that the footage for it was recorded in random bursts from 1980 through 1985. It's not really a documentary about the band. It's mostly live performances, both with an audience and in like a rehearsal space. The songs are mostly from their golden trifecta, the first three. A lot of stock footage imagery as well. It's, it's worth a run through to see and hear X in the live wild. Oh, a Soul Kitchen cover is in the doc set list. And of course, the Corpse Humper gets on stage and sings Unnecessary Backup. Thanks, Ray. Another good old quick punk banger at 10. The song is called How I Learned My Lesson. So the final two songs on Under the Big Black Sun, there's one, one's a look at the past and then one into the future of the, of the band. This particular scorcher could have slid seamlessly into the track listing for uh, Wild Gift. Punk in L.A., going by this song, is not quite dead yet Dead yet with this jam. Venue The Mask was the place where X learned how to bring it live. It is generally considered the L.A. version of what happened in the East at CBGB's. Oh, oh, CBGB. The original incarnation of The Mask closed its doors in 1978, but Brendan Mullen wasn't done promoting live music. He opened a new venue across town called The Other Mask. He had some good artists play at that redo as well. The Cramps, Dead Kennedys, and my favorite of all of them, Wall of Voodoo. All did early shows there, all of them. The other mask would be kaput by the end of 1979. After that, Brendan Mullen opened Club Lingerie, which would be in business until 1991. The Red Hot Chili Peppers credit Brendan Mullen as being the first promoter to give them a shot. He started booking them at Club Lingerie in 1983. I'm only into that early Red Hot Chili Peppers, the Hillel Slovak era, Behind the Sun from Uplift uh, Mofo Party Plan. Banger playlist. I'm not into the uh I'm not into like the under the bridge running breast bounce stuff from the from the nineties. Shirtless drummers, yes, but I prefer my uh frontmen bloused. No more uh 
Anthony Kiedis. No more bouncing breasts. We come to the um, to the closing song on Under the Big Black Sun. It's called The Have Nots, and it's about drinking. X, X drink like pigs, let me tell you. Great Billy Zoom solo and also has hand clap action, which is always welcome. So, and th- there's a methodically cautious sense to this song that is unlike anything else on the album. How, like, how I learned my lesson is a look back, but the have nots, this song is the direct, is definitely the direction X is headed. Problem is with X, after this song, they never did anything that sounded quite as good as, as, as this. Really good album. Bang out that X trifecta if you've never heard and are looking for a listen. Los Angeles, Wild Gift, Under the Big Black Sun. Pew, pew, pew. Same res- uh, Under the Big Black Sun, same reception as Los Angeles and Wild Gift. Anyone that listened to it loved it, but not that many people did, or at least not enough. X and Ray Manzarek team up for one final round in 1983. More fun in the new world. It's okay to me. Uh, I must not think bad thoughts and the song uh, The New World are definitely playlistable. X goes full-blown rock band in support of this album. World Tour, MTV, appearance on David Letterman. Billy Zoom looks pretty beat on that Letterman stop. Exine's confidence and improvement in singing are often given given the gold star in regards to this album, More Fun in the New World. Same reception as the first three. They are a nationally loved band, just not national enough. X hook up with German producer Michael Wagner in 1985, who was huge in the hair band and metal world. Dokken, White Lion, he mixed Master of Puppets. This guy's feather banged to the to the hilt. They record a cover version of the Trog's Wild thing together. This is the version of Wild Thing that Charlie Sheen comes out of the bullpen to in, in the movie Major League. It is also now John Moxley's uh, entrance music in AEW wrestling. I don't like that guy. I only like wrestlers who are jacked, tan, and wearing the little underwear tights. The classic look. X and Wagner then team up to record X's fifth album, Ain't Love Grand. It's uh, slicker. To me, and com- but it completely loses the and loses the unique characteristics that make uh, X the bomb. The only thing I've taken away from Ain't Love Grand is that a cover of the Replacements "I Will Dare" appears as a bonus track on one of the CD reissues. Ain't Love Grand uh, moves out of the public conscious uh, rather quickly. Steam is starting to run out a little. Billy Zoom decides to leave X after Ain't Love Grand fails to move the band forward. He gets replaced by Dave Alvin of California Roots Rock Band, The Blasters. The three remaining members of X and Dave Alvin are already in a side project together called The Knitters. I think that that's like more of an acoustic. It has the stand-up bass in it. X released their sixth 
and final album for Electra in um, their sixth album overall, their final third and final for Electra. Um, fourth for Electra, motherfucker, called uh, See How We Are uh, in 1987. Uh, two things to note on this one. John Doe has a mullet during this era, and the song Fourth of July from this album is the closing song of The Sopranos episode Live Free or Die, season six. The one where uh, Vito is uh, outed as a bottom, that episode. John Doe and Exene also get divorced somewhere in the 1985 range. Guess who Exene meets and marries less than two years later? Vigo Mortensen. They had a son in 1988 and lived in Idaho for three fucking years. Also in 1988, uh, same year, Exene and Vigo, their son is born. X released a live album. It's the live at the whiskey one. And then it's that's it for a while. They reunite briefly in 1993 to independently release Hey Zeus. I've never heard this album. I didn't even know it existed until like three days ago. No Billy Zoom on it either. After X's heyday, John Doe starts to get a lot of acting roles. You have most definitely seen this motherfucker in something. He plays that shady bartender Pat McGurn in Roadhouse with the mustache. He is also Amber Waves' cuck ex-husband in Boogie Nights. He's across from her at the litigation table when she when she's trying to get um, custody of her son back. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Your Honor. I don't think a house of drugs and prostitution is the right place to raise a child. The, the original X lineup, they reunited in 1998 and have sporadically toured and remained together ever since. They've, they've been on the road. You know, they're always around. 25 years since that reunion and still going. Billy Zoom, during that time, Billy Zoom, he beat bladder cancer. Exena's had health problems. She's been diagnosed and misdiagnosed with MS a lot. But that X resiliency holds up. I mean, they're all like, Billy Zoom's in his 70s. The rest of them in her late 60s. They, they look great. They sound great. This was exciting. In 2020, they released Adventureland their eighth studio album on Fat Possum Records. Great label. It's the best of the back four X albums, no doubt. And Billy Zoom is on guitar. It's like 27 minutes. It's it's good. It's, you know, it is what it is, but it's, it's, it's listenable. It's good. It's a good effort. It's not like the fucking new Rolling Stones album where it's just like off the, you know, it just sucks ass. It, it's in the wheelhouse of X. It's a legit, something you could legitimately, legitimately put in the, um, catalog all you know the original members good for them oh uh, adventureland is also the first x album where all four members get songwriting credit on each song the writing credit had historically gone solely to john doe and exine Cervenka. i actually had a brief interaction with john doe like 15 years ago in new orleans i was there for a two-night wilco run at tipitina's john doe was the opening act uh, I'll tell you, New Orleans, awesome city. I can't believe how much tourist shit we got done there considering how ossified on mouth and nose beers we were the whole time. There was more powder in my face than on those fucking beignets at Cafe Du Monde. Needless to say, the opening act for the shows was not on our radar. Party time. Had no idea John Doe was on the bill until after the second show. So it was hard to get like a cab outside Tipitina's after the show. I would assume every show there we were staying in the French quarter. It was like a significant distance from the venue. 
So after the set, you know, the show the second night, we just started walking and we're going to, you know, pick up a cab on the way back to the hotel. So there's a line of line of people walking and the person in front of me, they dropped what I what looked like a keychain. So as we're walking, I just swooped it up and then I just yelled to the guy in front of us. I was like, hey, hey, you dropped this. He dropped something. Turns out to be John Doe. He stops, he turns around and he just looks at me all shocked. He goes, I don't want that. I don't want that. Then he just kept walking to his car, I guess. Uh, okay, Litterbug. That's fine. It turned out to be his like um his his press, his his meet his artist lanyard is passed to for the venue. Um Hey, John, forget about the uh, big black sun. Why don't you go find yourself a big black garbage can to throw this uh, lanyard into? Anyway, new album, new episode next week. Take care. Mm-hmm.